All right, guys, we're going to uh, go ahead and start with a message. I received a newsletter this week from uh, Jason Hooper at, at uh, what's the name of the church? Kingsway. Yeah, it used to be Global Fire. Kingsway. Anyway, it's just a newsletter he sends out to everybody. It wasn't personalized. Well, it has your name on it, but that's a computer program that does that. But anyway, but it said in the, uh, up in the heading up there, it was a prophetic word, and it said, step forward and begin to occupy your personal land of promise. Well, that really resonated with me because when we went to Bethel, Atlanta, and this isn't the first time that this has happened, they brought the third-year students in, and it was a room maybe bigger than this, and it was full, so there was probably 75 or 100 people there. And they brought the third-year students in from uh, their school of ministry, and they had a them go down the line and they would pick somebody out of the audience and they would prophesy over them. Well, what you found out is that they already had their prophetic word when they greeted you when you were coming in the door for the conference, they would already they were already the Holy Spirit was identifying people to them. And so the guy that called me out had the word from the moment he saw me. He was just waiting to be asked to release it. And he said, Stand. And he said, I just see land. When I see you, I see land everywhere. I, I just see land. And um, he said, I don't know if that's in the natural, if it's spiritual or both. And then he went on to say a bunch of other things. Well, I think that that was, to me, I received that as God saying that he was, he was going to expand what he was doing. It wasn't for me personally. It was just that we were going to be given authority to in, enlarge our tents. And honestly... It's, it's a global, it's a global thing, uh, and, I, and I understand that. So when I received this word, I'm like, yeah, I'll step into that. Yeah, I'll step forward and begin to pursue that. And then I got to thinking about the land of promise because God has been talking to me about generations, really shifting the perspective of every one of us in this house so that we understand that our life is not about us. And it's really a transition from being selfish to being selfless. And understanding that what we do resonates throughout forever. You know, we are eternal beings. So what we do and what we participate in in our life resonates forever. It has a, it has a spiritual impact forever. And, and can even have a natural impact for what this earth will know as forever. So having that in the back of my mind and God speaking to me about truly how to change the culture of even our city. Uh, because God gives you key insight into how to do that. When we were in Guatemala, and I was at that last church meeting, and I've shared this, God shifted my focus from, because in missions, a lot of times they go in and they try to establish relationships with pastors. And then they try to bring pastors together, and they try to train them in the things of God. And I think that's great. You have to do that, all right? Because there are broken people that have to be restored. But for me, I'm thinking in my mind, how could I really really see God transform this culture in Guatemala. And there are children everywhere. I mean, I'm preaching, right? I'm ministering, and kids are coming up to the stage wanting to shake your hand. You're ministering, right? So kids run around everywhere, just running around everywhere. And that don't really intimidate me or bother me at all because I like that. I like the free environment. Now, I don't want them to, be, to become disrespectful, you know, and unholy and unruly, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to be so rigid, you know. There, there needs to be a balance of freedom in the house. And I, I didn't think it exceeded that for where we were and what was happening. 
But anyway, I, I, I shifted my vision to the children, and I thought, you know, if I was here in Guatemala, if it was my mission here, I would, I would understand that to shift this culture, I've got to start there. If I can take a seven-year-old, and I've, I've said this before, and you've probably heard it before, if I could take a seven-year-old and train him for seven years, or I could take a 40-year-old who's already established, already has all their viewpoints, already has all of the, the, the history that they have in the church and with religion, has all of that, that I've got to shift that in that 40-year-old, and I had the same seven years with the 40-year-old or seven years with the seven-year-old, who do you really think you could impact the most? Because, yeah, because with a 40-year-old, we've got to tear down, right, to build back up. With a 7-year-old, oftentimes, you're just building. You're not having to tear anything down. So a tear-down process and a reconstruction process is a lot longer. So in my, in my assessment is, am I going to have time with this 40-year-old pastor or 50-year-old pastor? Am I going to really have time to change the culture in his lifetime? Now, I don't want to just ignore that because I have a responsibility to try to get him because he's the pastor and I want to bring some light of the kingdom to him so that he can administer it. But at the same time, if you're going to shift the culture, you really need to start with the children. If we're going to shift the culture here in this city, we really need to start with the children and the teenagers. You understand? Because how many of you would understand that once you give yourself over to something to rehabilitate that issue in your life is a lot more time-consuming it consumes more resources, and it's harder than preventing someone going into that situation, like an addiction. Once you're in the addiction, it's a little bit more complicated to, to come out and transition out of that than it is if, as if somebody never went into the addiction. So if we could turn a whole generation away from addiction, then we could really reshape a culture. At the same time, we're rehabilitating and bring pe bringing people out into freedom who are in the addiction. All right? And I'll show you that, probably not today, but I'll show you that in the scripture that that is God's plan. It's God's agenda. If we really look into the scripture, we understand that God is about cities and he's also a God of forever. That's how God thinks. He thinks about forever. And in, in the promised land illustration, do you understand that that was really a generational issue? That when the 12 went out and 12 returned, two had a positive confession over what God could do in their situation. Ten had a negative confession about how they saw themselves, which they believed a lie, they empowered the liar, and then they, they promoted the lie with their words, and they had a very low self-image, very low self-esteem, and they had a very low image of what God could do, a very small reality of what God was capable of. And do you understand that it took a complete generation to remove that doubt out of the hearts of the people? That generation was gone. If you study that out, you see that God said uh, Joshua and Caleb were going to be the only two out of that generation who were allowed in the promised land. That whole generation had to be removed. So God understands that to shift culture is generational issues. They had to raise up a generation who believed Joshua and Caleb's report before they could possess it. So, so having that mindset helps us understand that we're not just looking for today. 
we understand that what we have embarked on is a lifetime journey. That it's going to take the entire rest of our life to be laid down, to, to even begin to see what God has prophesied over our life. And there are prophecies that we've been given that we may not see. But they've been set before us as a target for our pursuit so that we can usher the next generation into that prophetic word. Abraham never saw children that were numbered like the stars. Abraham never saw children that were numbered like the grains of sand in the sea, but yet there was a prophetic word to Abraham that you would have this many children. He never saw that prophetic word. But the momentum of that prophetic word in his life launched him into a place with God and an understanding with God that he was able to create a momentum that continues unto us. And that's exactly how we are. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. It says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. That speaks to seasons. You know, and it's, it's very important that you also become a person who, who at least you are aware of seasons. There's ebbs and flows in your relationship with the Lord. There's ebbs and flows in the spirit. There's seasons, okay? And you have to be a person who understands that so that you can distinguish and discern with the help of Holy Spirit what season of life you're in. Otherwise, you're going to be very frustrated. You're going to have one mode, and you're going to think that it's always that way, and you're going to be stubborn and hard-headed and not going to be able to flow with the seasons of life. Because to do that, you really have to become a person who's totally and completely abandoned to God. Because in those seasons where you don't understand, those seasons that we may call those, those, those moments of, of darkness or, or, or where it seems like you can't press through or it seems like you, things are just not happening for you, you're, you're going to mistake what's happening there if you don't trust God and you don't understand seasons. Once you get a comprehension of that, you're able to, you're able to really press into the season you're in to drain every last ounce of revelation and, and, and encouragement and resources of heaven in that season. Because every season has a, a key that unlocks another door in the kingdom. Every season has a treasure hidden in it that is a treasure found in a field. That is the kingdom. We're given example after example after example of how the kingdom operates. And when you're in those awful seasons, honestly, those are some of the most resourceful seasons for you to unlock doors for the next venture in God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. <clears throat> Yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Some translations, King James says world. Some translations say forever, eternity, whatever. God has integrated this concept of forever in each one of our hearts. How many of you know that when you get older... Is usually when you start doing family histories. You, you see all these websites now where you can look up your, your family's history? You want to know why, why are those so important? Because we all have hidden in our heart this concept of forever. We want to know where did we come from? Who did we come from? Who were they? What is our family lineage? What is our heritage? Do you not find it ironic that we all have that? And usually it's because when we're getting a little older, you know, that's when, that's when 
we start, we get a little more mature and we start wanting to know who great, 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 great granddaddy was, right? But that's because hidden in your heart is this concept of forever. Hidden in you is this idea of generations. This is how God designed you. You should not ever feel sorry that you have a desire in your heart to be great. Now, I'm not talking about pride. I'm not talking about a person who's great when you get exalted, but a person who is influential in the history of mankind. You see, when I pass from this life to the next, I want it to have mattered that I was here. You know? I want people to, to, to feel and see the impact that my life has made. All right? Not as a person of great stature himself, but a person that, that they can say, wow, this is what a person can accomplish when they're completely yielded to God, like we do Jesus. We see Jesus as perfect theology. We see Jesus as the possibilities of a human being who is 100 and completely yielded to God. We see his life as the possibility for us all. If we can press into that place of complete surrender where Jesus was and only do what the Father does and only say what the Father says and only do what we see the Father do, then we see a life that is an example of the kind of life we have, we can have. And we understand that we want to create in, in society a momentum, a propulsion, a foundation, whatever you want to call it, that the next generations can build upon far superior than anything we ever accomplished. My hope would be that three generations from now our children actually walk on water. That three generations from, from today that my great-grandchildren raising the dead will be, just be like me and you buying a loaf of bread. Just something that happens in life. That's just life. This is normal. That they will find it abnormal not to raise the dead. And, and that is a reality of the, of the word. That is a reality of the kingdom. That they will have supernatural encounters. You know, Jesus taught, it's going to wig you out, man. I'm telling you it's going to wig you out. Are you ready? Hold on to your seat. Jesus taught with dead people. What happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? Did he not talk to Moses? Now you can, you can ask yourself, well Enoch never died, and I get that. But Moses had been dead for some time, yet Moses was giving him counsel on what he was about to go through. According to scripture, and the disciples saw it. Now, I'm not getting off into some weird religion or weird theology. I'm just saying that don't sit there so pious and think that you regulate how the supernatural works through your understanding. There are things that happen in the supernatural that we have not tapped into yet, that we have not been able to comprehend at this moment, that we until this moment may not have ever even wanted to try to tap into or wanted to pursue. All that is, in the, is an exposure that in the kingdom there is no limit. You limit. We limit. We set boundaries. We set fences. We say we're going to go this far, and that's as far as we're going to go. So then we have the, 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 uh, you know, the arrogance to say we know God, and this is God. When God shows up, 
like she's saying, it gets crazy and it gets messy and it gets weird when God shows up. So if you ain't down with that, you'll get down with it. He has planted eternity in our heart. That word eternity means a concept from the beginning of the world to a world without end. It means forever. It means eternity. It comes from a root word, though, that I thought was very interesting. That means a secret thing or a hidden thing. So God has planted eternity in our heart, and we understand that in that concept of eternity are hidden things. So we have hidden revelations in our heart that we have not tapped into yet. Why? Because what lives on the inside of you? God. And the Bible says that the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened in the knowledge of him. That we would know these things. That these things would become experiential to us. Which is the true definition of the word know in the Bible. That we would experience the full revelation of who he is through all of the hidden treasures that are in our heart. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. So there are hidden things in our heart that when we pursue God and we pursue kingdom, there's revelation that comes on these hidden things. Now, he says that once these hidden things are revealed, then they become ours. And they not only become our possession, but they become our children's possession. And then he says, forever. Why did he write it this way? When Moses wrote this book, why did he write it? Because in his heart was an understanding of forever. An understanding. You, you understand who he was. You understand how he sought God. You understand the places that God took him that nobody else went to at that time. The exposure of himself that God gave to him. And then he writes that the hidden things are God's, but the things that are revealed to us are ours and our children's forever. Do you understand that the, the key thing that the enemy was trying to disrupt in Adam was the genealogy of Christ? He was, trying to uh, uh, he was trying to disrupt the generational process because there was a prophecy, right? There was a prophecy about who would come that would crush his head and who that person would come through. There was an explanation that Jesus would come through a certain lineage and through a certain family structure. And that was the attack of the enemy was to disrupt that all through history. He tried to disrupt that lineage in that generational process because the enemy understands to defeat the kingdom is a generational thing. All he has to do is get one to two generations removed from the heart of God and it's going to be a real hard thing to turn that back to the heart of God. He understands generations. Look at the average age of suicide. Look at the average age in which people enter into addiction. Look at the average age of disruption and darkness that comes upon us 
They're very young, junior high to high school age. Why? Because he's after a generation. I'm established, right? Pretty much. I mean, barring some catastrophic injury in which you would have to take pain medication for a long, extended period of time, which there's a possibility of a window being open there, the chances of him luring me into something is slim. All right? But when I was younger and couldn't, wasn't mature enough to control my impulsive behavior, when I didn't have the maturity level to understand consequences versus you know, reward, then he stood a better chance of being able to divert my divine destiny and, and cause me to disrupt my generation, right? That's why he understands to hit them early. He understands a concept that the church has forgotten. And, and just to be honest with you, I mean, look at most churches, right? We have to make it entertaining and we have to make it attractive to the adults. Why? Because they They have all the money. And then we understood through McDonald's that if we can if we can lure the children, we can hook the adults. Alright? So then we, we started we started putting in slides and ball pits and, and indoor uh, you know ski jet hook swimming pools and we did everything to get the hook. Because great marketing says we can grow a product if we hook. we got to have a hook in it. You better be careful with things with hooks in them. And we, the, the sole purpose of hooking the children wasn't to raise a different generation, but it was to get the parents, because parents tithe. And then in all honesty, the youth, the heck with them. I mean, they're really useless. You know, by that time, Parents are not going to come to church just for the youth. The youth don't tithe. The youth abs- it's almost like, uh, you know, being at a major university and the volleyball team. The volleyball team don't bring any revenue. Volleyball team costs us, so they're really not very important. The football team, now that's the adults. That's where the money comes from. And see, so we got it all marketed. We got it all commercialized, and we're missing the whole point. But I, you can rest assured the enemy knows. He knows exactly how to stop Kenny. And he knows, that's fine, let mom and daddy sit in there and praise the Lord. I'm going to be out here with the children and the youth. Because if I can get a lie in their mind, and there's nobody out there telling them and exposing those lies and teaching them who they really are, then I can get that lie in there, and I can tell them they're no good, they're worthless, mom and daddy doesn't love them, daddy left, so it was something they did. All these things, all these lies, this abuse they're getting at home is just the way life is, and that's who they are, and that's life for them. Then he can hook them with that lie. And that's why here, I'm going to throw this out there without time to explain it. We'll, we'll just throw this out there and I'll explain it, and then that'll be that. In Isaiah 58 through 61, I've done a lot of teaching about broken people, right? Because how many of you in this room have ever been broken? All right, the rest of you, my goodness, I'm impressed. <laughs> but I've been broken. You've been broken. And the anointing and someone came to us, and they exposed kingdom to us, and they 
brought us out. That's the anointing on their life was they came in and they brought us out in Jesus' name, right? And we were healed. It might have been some grandma when you were four and you didn't really realize the impact they were having, but then when you got 21 and you were on your last breath and you didn't know what to do, those words from grandma came up in you and then God visited you. Okay, so, you know, you, however it happened for you, you got brought out. And in Isaiah 61, the word says, we will rebuild the cities. The broken people will be the one that rebuilds the cities and raises the ruins of many generations. So we can't stop focusing on the adults because who we are now, if we're healed, then we have a responsibility to carry the anointing to bring other people out of captivity. That is a constant process. But here's my question. If somebody asked me this Wednesday night, in light of what you say, Pastor, you know, that our responsibility is to heal the broken, okay? And now you're saying that you, you, you see the focus ought to be on the children. How does that work? And I said, okay, let me ask you this question. If it's the broken that restores the cities and the past to dwell in, who are they restoring the cities and the past to dwell in for? The next generation. So it's not one over the other. It has to be a complete, balanced, synonymous work to where now our breakthrough is not just for us. Our breakthrough is to provide breakthrough for somebody else. My reconciliation in, in the Lord says that now I carry the responsibility to do the work and the ministry of reconciliation. So I've been reconciled. Now my responsibility is to help you get reconciled. Okay? So now we're all getting reconciled and we're all great people, but we haven't been set free just so that we can go out to habaneros on Sunday and now we can enjoy life because we're not vomiting, because we're not on pills anymore. Right? So we've been reconciled and we can live free, but our reconciliation wasn't just for our freedom. It was to bring freedom to others. But now what we have is we have this dynamo of free people creating more free people for what purpose? To rebuild cities and streets. For who? The next generation. So we have to turn our focus into the next generation and say, let me tell you how kingdom is. Let me show you kingdom. It's not tell you, this is why our children don't raise the dead, because the parents can't do it. Let me tell you, there's nothing more frustrating than somebody trying to tell me how to do something they can't do. You know, you're going to tell me how to post the player up on the inside in basketball, and you're a point guard. That's pretty frustrating. I don't tell you how to run point, don't come down and tell me how to be the fourth man, the power forward on the inside. You know, I know what a V cut to the basket is. I don't need you to tell me. If you can't do it, you know, you tell the kids we can raise the dead, but if you can't show them, that just becomes another key point of frustration. You tell the children that God's kingdom says we're to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And they don't see seizures stop. You had seizures for how many years? Four years. She was having a seizure in service. I don't know if you were here two or three Sundays ago. She's having a seizure in service. We pray for her. God just wrecks her. She hasn't had a seizure since. I mean, 
miracle, you know, in Guatemala, God gives me a word of knowledge. There's somebody here with a ringing ear. There's somebody here with some kind of ear problem. He tells me the ear. She comes up. She's had this, this ringing in this ear for years that she just can't even hear. And you can tell on her face she's at wit's end because they don't just have drugs. They can't just go to ear, ENT, get some drops. You know, and she's beat down. I mean, she looked really bad. We prayed for her, boom, no more ringing, no more nothing, just completely like So we show a generation, this is God. We've been set free. We were diverted off our divine destiny, but we're going to stand in the gap. We're going to bleed our blood. We're going to lay our life down. We're going to be a sacrificial generation so that you walk in something that we didn't walk in, and you don't have to go down that path that we went down. And you're going to walk continuously with the Lord. There's no such thing as terrible twos. There's no such thing as rebellious teenage years. No, all that's a lie. It's a lie that we perpetuate from the enemy. Because honestly, I think somewhere inside we get some personal gratification from that. We have to shift that understanding. We have to let them understand that it, there is no junior Holy Spirit. There's no little junior Holy Spirit that comes to Drew and allows Drew to do a few things, and then when he matures, he gets the advanced Holy Spirit. He gets senior Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that regulates my life, regulates his life. The same Holy Spirit that gives me access, the same Jesus that bled out for me to have access to everything heaven has to offer was the same Jesus that bled for him and you. There is no age requirement. So we get healed. Man, I got to I got A through F points. I got M point A. So we'll go through on until we finish it. But I, I want you to leave this morning. I think it's good that we kind of focus in and you kind of get something to chew on for the week. When we leave this morning, I want you to understand the generation before us, what were they called? They were called the greatest generation ever. That was their title. You ever heard them called that? In history, they're recorded as the greatest generation ever, the, the generation that came through the wars and the Great Depression. Why? Because they laid down their life for others. They are recorded as the most selfless generation to ever walk this planet. They were willing to transport themselves to foreign soil and be slaughtered so that me and you have a right to be free. All right? So we see that even the world recognizes selflessness in people as something that is to be honored. And somewhere to turn a nation, to turn a culture, there has to be a generation that says, I will lay my life down. Without it, we won't turn squat unless we become that generation that says, I will sacrifice I will lay down my life, even if I don't get all my wants and all my dreams, even if I don't get all my personal goals, I will lay in my life down. I'll bleed in the ditch so that the next generation doesn't have to. Because you're now talking about my children's children's children. Me and Angela have, have had visions of Josh's children. All right? And I understand that if I don't deal with my mess and slaughter myself, I'm not just impacting him, but I have seen in the spirit his children. 
So I don't even know them. I've never laid eyes on them other than what I've seen. I don't know if they'll look like what I've seen, but I got a revelation that what I do in my life is going to affect them because God is a generational God. When you deal, and I, I'm going to use Drew because I know Drew don't mind. When you are at church and you're operating in the children's program and you see Drew, if you don't have a generational understanding that you're not just trying to help Drew, but you're trying to put in place all of the generations that will come through him, that you're speaking into his children's children's children, then you're going to miss them all. That's how you shift children's church. Well, we can't get nobody to work in children's church. Well, you need to teach them the revelation of what they're really doing. And that is, it's not just babysitting. You're speaking life into four or five generations when you see that little young in there. So, God is generational. He sees things from a forever perspective. I understand we're going to make a transition one day. It's appointed unto man wants to die. I get that. We all are going to die should the Lord tarry. We're all going to die, right? A hundred years from now, everyone in this room will be dead. Now, some of you might live to be 110, but pretty much everybody in this room will be gone a hundred years from now. So when God thinks about forever, but when we transition from this life to the next, we don't stop. We are now forever being. We will forever be. So now we have, to, we have to assume that same perspective that he has and he thinks forever. What I do in my natural life in the years I've been allowed to put on this earth will impact eternity forever. It will resonate forever. So God is generational. He is forever focused. And his heart is after cities. Those are the things that we're going to look at over the course of the next week or two. And if we don't shift our way of seeing things to understand that even if we have to buy eight buses and bus them in, the only way we're going to impact this culture is to start with the young ones. We're going to keep setting people free. We're going to keep ministering kingdom. You guys are going to be equipped to take kingdom out. Some of you guys are going to be transplanted into other nations to bring kingdom. But the way you're going to transform the culture is to start with the little ones. Because Paul asked me, if we were to plant a place in Guatemala, what would you do? And I said, I'd go after the kids. I'd raise politicians. I'd raise medical doctors. I'd raise school teachers so that they could transform their own culture. Because I'm a gringo. And I have so much influence, but that's, that's all I got. But they have all the doors to their culture open to them. So I hope you can walk away. Let's just let's uh, walk away with that in your heart and in your mind.